Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. Go to Isaiah chapter 7 tonight. Isaiah chapter 7. And uh, uh, we're going to take the next 45, 50 minutes or so and uh, look at something that we'll be on over the next couple services. Uh, this subject, Savior, Redeemer, and King. Savior, Redeemer, and King. Uh, you know, when we, get, we, when we get into what we call the Christmas season and and, you know, people celebrate different things, uh, Advent and Lent and these different issues. Now, I'm not against that. But uh, the Christmas story, if that's what you want to say, is one of the foundation, one of the doctrinal foundations of the church. It's, it's not the Christmas story it is doctrine personified. And if I understand that, then I, I see things from it that I never would have seen before. All right? Because, uh, you know, uh, when, when we get around Christmas, you know, we think the baby in the manger and the star and, and the, you know, the three wise men with the three cigar boxes and, and you know, they're, they're, they're coming and, and uh, home, uh, home, uh, home. And, uh, we miss some things. Uh, in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14 is where we'll start. A Savior, a Savior had been promised. In Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, it says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. All right? In Luke chapter 2. We've got a lot of scripture to go to tonight. In Luke chapter 2, verse 10, this is when the angel came to the shepherds, and the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Now right there, that tells you something extraordinary has happened. Because it's going to be good tidings of great joy for all people. And then it says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord, a Savior. All right, Jesus' name means Savior. It was actually Joshua or Yeshua. Jesus, it means Savior, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. In uh, Matthew 1, Matthew chapter 1, and verse 18. <clears throat> now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Now, this is something that's so important, and... and, and uh, 
if there was no virgin birth, Jesus wasn't the Son of God. And, and it says here, it's very plain. Every scripture is very plain to tell us. Notice, before they came together, she was found with child. And notice it says, of the Holy Ghost. The preposition of is so important because it tells us the channel or the substance that something is created from. And the Bible says here that she was found to be with child of the Holy Ghost. The angel told Joseph that thing that will be born of her is of the Holy Ghost. All right, of the Holy Ghost. Glory to God. In, 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 other, in other words, in other words, the Holy Ghost came upon her. The power of the Most High overshadowed her. And the seed of God was implanted in her womb. And, and frailty of human sin and failure was kept completely out of the equation. And God himself was birthed into the earth. Amen. Oh, hallelujah. hallelujah. So then he says, then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, take unto you Mary for your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, Savior. Why call him Savior? For he shall save his people from their sin. He shall save his people from their sin. In uh, Luke 1, Luke chapter 1 and verse 31, it says, And behold, you shall conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. You shall call him Savior. All right? Now notice, we read it right there in Matthew 1. The angel told Joseph, he said, he will save his people from their sins. He will save his people from their sins. So we are saved from our sins. The word from is a preposition and it's used to express removal. Or separation in space or time or order. Removal. Separation in space or time or order. In, in other words, we're approximately 10, 11 miles from Maumel. All right? We're separated from that city by 10 or 11 miles. All right? And, and if someone says, how, how far are we from? That means that there's a distance that has to be gone, to, uh, traveled, in order to reach that place. If you are in Kansas City, from here, you're 316 miles from Little Rock. All right? Now, this is important because he said he will save his people from. In other words, there is space or time or order between us and and sin. Then he said he would save them. To save, to keep safe and sound, to rescue from danger or destruction. All right, the wages of sin is death. All right, the wages of sin is death. 
It also means to save a suffering one from perishing. He will save his people from their sins. He will keep them safe and sound. He will separate them in space, time, or order, keep them safe and sound, rescue them from the danger and destruction of sin, and, and save them from being suffering ones that have to perish. Oh, hallelujah. Because of the Savior, we're not just forgiven, we're saved from sin. Not just forgiven, I'm saved from sin. All right? That's, that's why you can say if you're born again, if you're saved, you're not a sinner. Because I've been separated from that. It doesn't mean I can't sin. It means I've been separated from that. I'm not that anymore. Because I've been separated from it. In uh, Matthew 26 and 28, Jesus makes the statement concerning his, uh, his blood. And notice he says in Matthew 26, 28, this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. For the remission of sins. Remission is release from bondage or release from imprisonment. It's forgiveness or pardon of sin. Here, here's the part I like the most about the, the, the uh, interpretation. Letting them go as if they'd never been committed. Letting them go as if they'd never been committed. That's why Jesus did not say here concerning His blood, it was an atonement for sin. He said it was the remission of sin. All the way up to the four Gospels, when you see the topic of the blood mentioned, you see the word atonement. You see the word atoned. You see the word covered. All right? The blood in the Old Covenant covered. It covered sin from year to year. They would come and offer the sacrifice, and the blood would cover the sin, and they would be forgiven. But nothing could be done about the sin nature because they had not been saved from sin. Their sin had merely been covered. When Jesus came, He brought remission, He brought salvation, and He brought forgiveness. And so we were saved from our sins in space, time, or order. We're kept safe and sound, rescued from them, and they have been remitted. We have been let go as if we never committed sin. Hallelujah. Yes, sir. Hallelujah. Because we have a Savior. Because we have a Savior. We have a Savior. Hallelujah. In uh, <laughs> Hallelujah. In Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 10 and verse 43, it says, To him, Jesus, give all the prophets witness that through his name, now remember name, through his name, Savior, through his name, whoever believes in him shall receive remission of sins. Whoever believes in him shall receive Letting them go as if they've never been committed. Whoever believes in Him will receive that separation in space, time, or order. 
Hallelujah. See, David tapped into some of this. I don't know that he knew it, but he said when you were forgiven that God took your sin and cast them as far as the east was from the west. In other words, he was seeing a glimpse of redemption that there will come a day when God not only atones sin, there will come a day when God separates you from it. Hallelujah. That's why it's so dangerous when people talk about saved folk like they used to be. Because you're connecting yourself back to something that the Savior redeemed you from. Amen. I don't care if you messed up today and everybody saw you. You are redeemed from that. It has been remitted. It's been taken away. Yeah, but you know, Pastor, I failed, I sinned. Okay, you have flesh, you can sin. But here's the thing. It doesn't change the fact of what has been done. Whether you sin or not, you've still been separated from it. Oh, hallelujah. I told the Lord, if I start preaching on this, this cranks my tractor. And, and there's so many verses. Let's, let's just look at a couple of them. Isaiah 53. Because remember what he said, to him all the prophets give witness. When you read a scripture like that, then you need to find out what all the prophets said. Because he said, to him all the prophets gave witness. Remember when he was walking on the road to Emmaus? It says that Jesus started in, in, in the law and went all the way through the word of God and showed himself in every book of the Bible. He said, it was me. That he gave witness to in the law and the prophets and the Psalms. That's all they had then. But Jesus was in every one of those books. Isaiah 53 and verse 11. Notice it says, He shall see the travail of his soul and be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall my righteous servant justify many? For he will bear their iniquities. He will bear their iniquities. Well, how did your iniquities get separated from you? They were laid on the Savior, and He took them away. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, glory. Uh, Daniel 9. Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9 and verse 26 or 24. Seventy weeks are determined upon your people and upon your holy city to finish the transgression to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Notice, to make an end of sins, and to make reconciliation for iniquity. Hallelujah. The Bible says we have been reconciled to God by the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, let's look at Micah 7.18. Micah 7.18. Oh, glory. And uh, he says in Micah 7.18, Who is a God like unto you that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever because he delights in mercy. Oh, hallelujah. See, Acts said that all the prophets spoke of him. All the prophets. And there are other verses besides those. He's the Savior of whoever will believe. 
the Savior of whoever will believe. Romans 3 and 21. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifest, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, the righteousness of God which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. Those that believe. Verse 25. Whom God, talking about Jesus, whom God set forth to be a propitiation, through faith in His blood, propitiation, mercy seat, atoning sacrifice. It can mean atoning victim. All right? That's what it means. It's, it's, it's really more of an Old Testament word. But uh, 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 propitiation, through faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness for the remission. Remember that word, remission? The remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say at this time, His righteousness, that we might be just, that He might be just, and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. The Amplified Bible says, Whom God put forward before the eyes of all as a mercy seat and propitiation by His blood, the cleansing and life-giving sacrifice of atonement and reconciliation, to be received through faith, This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance. Now, you just got to get rid of every crumb of religion before I read this next sentence. Because if there's any in there, you'll you'll cramp up. You'll need some Malox or something. In His divine forbearance, He has passed over and ignored former sins without punishment. He did what? He passed over and ignored. When God saved you, He ignored what you had done. He ignored it because I had believed on the Savior. You know what we call the sinner's prayer? You won't find in the Bible. Well, I lost my crowd. You do not find one place where Paul had an altar call and said, now y'all come on up here. Everybody confess your sin. Say this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I repent of my sin. I ask you to come into my heart. I ask you to forgive me. I make you the Lord of my life. No, he said. The prayer that Paul led people in was believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, wait a minute, not your sin, not your shortcomings, not your failures. Believe in your heart that what? Jesus is Lord. And confess with your mouth what? That Jesus is Lord and you'll be saved. I'm not saying that the that, that people that do the other way are wrong. I'm, what I'm trying to say is that's how religion sneaks in. When you got born again, God passed over. That, that Passover is so important. He didn't judge you for your former sin. He passed over it. Why? You had received a Savior. There was remission. There was blood on the doors of your heart. And when you got saved, He passed over it and ignored it. Without punishment. 
without punishment. Without punishment to you. Because the Savior was punished for me. Oh, glory be to God. He said it was to demonstrate and prove at the present time in the now season. In the now season. Right now. That he himself is righteous and that he justifies and accepts as righteous him who has true faith in Jesus Christ. That's a beautiful statement. That is a doctrinal cornerstone. I am accepted by God on the basis of my true faith in Jesus Christ. That's why Paul could write this statement. He said, who is he that condemneth? It's God that justifies. Who's he that condemns? It's Christ that died, yea, rather is risen again, and is seated at the right hand of God the Father. See, if God didn't judge you for your sin and your shortcoming, he's the only one that can and he won't because he overlooked it and ignored it because of the blood of the Savior. Amen. The answer to what the world, the church calls the sin problem is teaching the righteousness solution. If you just preach on sin, you're going to have a lot of sinning in your church. If you preach on righteousness, you're going to have a lot of righteousness in your church. Oh, glory to God. In the now season, right now. Everybody say right now. In the now season, right now, we're justified and considered righteous by the Savior of the world. The one that paid the price says you're righteous. In the now season. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10. I'm I'm hurrying because i got to get to at least my next page because we got to set the stage for something. So this is about the the Savior. This is about the Savior. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10. Notice, therefore we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of them that believe. Amen. Do do you see that? Especially of them that believe. In God's mind, He's the Savior of all men. But especially of those of us that have believed. Everybody's not going to be saved. But we have believed. Oh, hallelujah. And notice, there is no other Savior. There is no other Savior. Now see, that's good news. Because all I got to do is trust in the one. You know, if, right? It's not multiple choice. The easiest test in the world is one choice. Just got to make one choice. Not A, B, C, and D, just A. Right? Aren't you glad you made that choice? Above all, he's the savior of those who believe. Amen. He is our Savior. He is our Redeemer. And He is our King. So notice, we were saved from sin. That's important. But we were saved from sin and redeemed. I wasn't just saved. I was redeemed. See, 
because I was sold into sin. I had to be saved from its effects. I had to be saved from the death that sin brought, but then I had to be redeemed from sin. So not only were we in need of a Savior, we were in need of a Redeemer. Amen. And being saved from sin was not enough. I had to be redeemed from sin. Uh, You can write this down. Genesis 3.15. You'll remember the verse. Uh, The Lord spoke to the serpent. And he said, the seed of the woman will crush your head and you will bruise its heel. Amen. At Adam's fall, mankind, of course, was brought under the control of God's arch enemy, Satan. Sin overcame mankind and set in motion spiritual death. In Genesis 3.15, the Father is pointing to the fact that a Redeemer would come to man. A Redeemer would come to man. Now, there was a preparation of man's understanding. The Father would use prophecies and types to point to the coming Redeemer. All right, we read in in Isaiah 7.14, it says, A virgin shall give birth to a child. And it'll be the Savior. In Luke 1, 26 through 31, he said the same thing. All right? This is important. He said the Redeemer would be born of a virgin. Oh, hallelujah. Look at Ruth chapter 3. He said that the Redeemer, the Redeemer, oh, this is so important. Lord, help me say this right. The Redeemer would be our near kinsman. This is important. He said that he would be our near kinsman. I I want you to understand something. The people of Jesus' day, by and large, missed the Redeemer because they were an heir not knowing the Scriptures. He had to be our kin. To save us, he had to be one of us. But to be one of us, He had to be perfect. And he had to come from outside of the natural chain of events. A captive can't set a captive free. Only a free man can set somebody free. You following me? And he had to be our kin. Now, we don't use that word a lot. You know, he and and I, we're kin. We'll say, well, we're cousins or we're brothers or whatever. But kinsmen, he's my kinsman. And notice, uh, Ruth 3 and 12. Now, this is when uh, uh, Ruth had been gleaning in the field of Boaz. And notice, Boaz says in verse 12, It's true that I'm your near kinsman. Howbeit there's a kinsman nearer than I. I'm setting forth the precedent. Chapter 4 and verse 8. Therefore the kinsman said to Boaz, buy it for you. So he drew off his shoe and and Boaz bought all of the the land and the property that belonged uh, to Naomi's husband that had died. And he was able to do that. Notice something. He was able to redeem that because he was the near kinsman. He was the near kinsman. Boaz is a picture of Christ. Was Ruth a Jew or a Gentile? A Gentile. Gentile. Naomi was a Jew. Ah, the Gentile 
was grafted in to the, to the, to the plant. Ha-ha. And the Redeemer redeemed both of them. Do you see that? The kinsman redeemed the Gentile and the Jew. And that's what the Bible says. All men can be saved if they'll just believe on the Savior. Oh, glory to God. He would be our kin. Now notice, Hebrews 2. Hebrews chapter 2. My Lord and my God. See, this is why this, what we call the Christmas story is so crucial. Because all of this is in it. Notice verse 11, Hebrews 2.11. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all one. Now, this is important. Why are we all one? For which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. He's not ashamed to call himself your brother. He's not ashamed to call himself your near kinsman. He was the nearest kin that could redeem you. You see this? That's why Jesus had to become a man. Because that's the the channels that God works through. Man had to redeem man. Because man had fallen into sin. God could not get into the earth because, because, because... because of his, of his integrity and his character, he would not violate his law. Man had the earth lease. Man had the right on this earth. Adam had a, 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 he didn't have a moral right to give it away, but he had a legal right to give it away. And he gave it away legally. God cannot come in and usurp what man did on the earth. But if he can get a man in the earth, somebody that will become a man, somebody that will become a near kinsman. Are are you seeing this? And and so if if you look at the story of Ruth, she went to Naomi and, and was telling her where she had gleaned. And Naomi said, he's near kinsman. And she said, go glean in his field. Go glean in his field. And isn't it interesting that the near kinsman that he made, he made double what everybody else was receiving available to Naomi. He's, and he said, drop her a little extra and drop her the good stuff. Why? Because I'm a near kinsman. Yes, sir. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you. I preached a series one time called, Oh, Such a Great Salvation. Your salvation is a great salvation. It's vast. It's overwhelming. Why? It was given to you by your near kinsman. He didn't give you the, 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 the throw-offs. He didn't give you second best. He gave you the best salvation there was. Glory to God. Oh, hallelujah. I might get through this. Might. We still got Sunday, so let's go to the book of Job. Job chapter 19. Oh, hallelujah. 
Job 19. So saved and redeemed. Job 19, verse 25. Job says, I know, for I know my Redeemer liveth, and he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And after my skin, worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh I will see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold and not another. Though my reins be consumed within me. Notice, Redeemer. I know that my Redeemer, that word Redeemer, it means to act as a kinsman Redeemer. It means to redeem from slavery, to redeem by payment, to redeem individuals from death. Now you know what Job was going through. You know what he was facing. But notice what he says. I know my Redeemer lives. I know my Redeemer lives. He said, I know, I know the fact that Job has faith. He says, my Redeemer lives. I know he lives. It means I know my Redeemer is living. I know that he is alive. Mm, Glory. The fact that Job had faith to see God in his flesh after his sin is his skin is destroyed speaks of physical resurrection. Job, by faith, Job had tapped into the doctrine of redemption. He saw glimpses of it at some point, and he said, I know what I'm going through, but here's something else I'm seeing. I know my Redeemer lives, and here's what I know. I know that I will see him either from my flesh or without it but I will see God I'll either see him while I'm alive or I will see him after I die don't you know that was a great rejoicing day when Job got to heaven and his eyes beheld the Redeemer that he had prophesied two millennia before Christ was born Job oldest book in the Bible and he prophesied I will see my Redeemer in my flesh Hallelujah. Woo. Glory to God in the highest. Notice in Job chapter 9. Hallelujah. Job chapter 9 and verse uh, 32. Notice Job says, He is not a man, talking about God, that I, as I am, that I should answer him. And we should come together in judgment. Neither is there any daysman between us that might lay his hand upon us both. There's no, Job said there's no daysman. There's no, there's no umpire. There's no one that can argue for me. Mm. What's Job doing? Recognizes his need for an intercessor. I need somebody to go between me and God. I need, right? He's not a man as I am. I need somebody to go between me and God. Who had to go between him and God? Near kinsmen. Amen. That's that's why the Bible makes the statement in Hebrews. You shouldn't just pass over these statements. He He said this. He said, because he has suffered being tempted, he is able to secure them that are tempted. And it says, why? For he has been tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. Why is that? Because he was our near kin. He was made flesh. 
Jesus was, if, 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 if we could say it this way, he was never tempted by sin, but he was tempted with sin. Sin came along and tempted him because he was our kinsman redeemer. He was in the flesh. He qualifies to stand between us and God because he became us. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Here, Job comes very close to describing Christ as our intercessor. Very close to describing Christ as our intercessor. He says, there's, there's no daysman between us. There's no one that should argue you. There's not an umpire. Mm. In Hebrews 10. Oh, there's a lot here. And we're not even going to get into the king part tonight. We'll get into that Sunday. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 1. The law having a shadow of good things to come. And not the very image of the things. Can never with those sacrifices they offered year by year. Make the comers thereunto perfect. Galatians 3.24. It says concerning the law. Oh Hallelujah. It says, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Notice, the object of the law was to point us to Christ. The law will still point people to Christ. But the object of the law was to point people to Christ. The, the Greek rendering here carries this idea. When Paul wrote the book of Galatians, you'll see all through the book of Galatians, he uses the word schoolmaster, uh, he uses the word tutor, and it's involving children. In that day, especially wealthy families, they would have a servant or a, 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 a somebody that was, that was a, a slave, if you will, that they would have brought into their house, and they were in charge of tutoring that child. They were in charge of educating that child. Here's what they did. They took that child every day by the hand and led them to school. And then they sat outside the school and waited for that child to get out of school. And they led them home and went over their work with them and went over their studies with them. And they even disciplined that child if they needed it. The concept here is that the law led us to Christ as a servant led a child to school. The law had a job, and it was to lead us to Christ. The law was full of types of redemption, full. The Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant represented the presence and the glory of God among His people. Now, you remember what was enclosed in the Ark of the Covenant, the unbroken law of God. The recording of the Ten Commandments, the unbroken law of God, Aaron's rod that budded, enclosed in the Ark, the unbroken law of God. Just as in Christ, the law was unbroken within Him. It was made of wood, signifying His humanity, and covered with gold, signifying His divinity. It's all a type and a picture of Jesus Christ. Oh, glory. The Word provides types and shadows as well. You remember in Genesis 22, you don't have to turn there, Genesis 22, verse 7, and then in verse 13, 
they're going up the mountain. And Isaac asked Abraham, he says, where's the lamb? And Abraham said, my son, the Lord will provide a lamb. And then in verse 13, as Abraham, uh, uh, the verses previous, Abraham was about to put the knife into his son's body and fulfill what God had asked him to do. And the angel of the Lord called from heaven and said, don't touch him. And it says, Abraham turned around and there was a ram caught in the bush. The law of the substitute. Amen. So the word provides types and shadows of the Redeemer. But then the Redeemer is presented. John chapter 1. John chapter 1 and verse 14. Ooh. It says, The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only bego- as of the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. One translation, the Woos translation says, The word entering a new mode of existence became flesh and lived in a tent, his physical body among us. So Jesus was presented to man as his redeemer when the word became flesh. When Jesus came into the world, he fully understood his mission. In uh, Hebrews 10, Hebrews 10, 5 through 7, it says, so also, Hebrews 10, verse 5, it says, wherefore when he comes into the world, now we just saw in John 1 when he came into the world, When he comes into the world, he says, sacrifice and offering you would not, but a body you have prepared me, you have fitted me with a body. That's the high priest was a type of Jesus Christ. The garment of the high priest was perfectly fitted to his dimensions. Perfectly fitted. Jesus said, you have perfectly fitted me with a body. Why? Because I have to have a covering. I have to have a garment. And I've got to go into the earth. I'm clothed in flesh. I'm the high priest in the flesh. They don't see it. They don't know it. But you have, you have made this body for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, lo, I come in the volume of the book. It's written of me to do your will, O God. So these words were spoken by Jesus. Then said I, Then said he, it's written to me, I come to do your will. This is a conversation that took place between the Father and the Son. I know the sacrifice and burnt offering, you don't have pleasure in that. That, Why did he not have pleasure in that? Because there there was no forgetting of sin year to year. You understand? Remember what the book of Hebrews says? It says, it says two things. It says that we have an altar, the blood of Christ, and it says whatsoever touches the altar is made clean. And then it says that the blood of Jesus Christ was able to purge your conscience from dead works. Is that right? So you shouldn't serve sin. 
That couldn't happen under the old covenant. And God got no pleasure in that. God's perfect will from time and eternity was that man be free from sin. And, and, and when man sinned, God had to bring a stopgap measure in called the law to provide some respite until the Redeemer could get in the earth. And when the Redeemer got in the earth, the conversation that Jesus had proving his willingness to come was, I know that that's not your perfect will. I know that you don't want sacrifices and burnt offering. You don't have any pleasure in them. And you have fitted me with a body that will be the ultimate one-time only sacrifice ever needed. And here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. Whew. In Galatians, Galatians 4, it says something else here. Oh, Jesus. Verse 4. When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son made of a woman, made under the law. For what purpose, Paul? To redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. So the fullness of time, the proper time. Notice, the proper time. There was a proper time. You, you know, you've heard people say, well, God don't show up when you want him, but he's always right on time. That's religion. That, I say, I lost my crowd again. That's religion. Amen. God, 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 is, God is not dangling you out there to make you sweat. I'm telling you, remember what I've been saying? I'm excited for you because something good's about to happen to you. I know we're in that season. There was a proper time. And then notice, God sent. The Redeemer was God's idea. God sent for the purpose of redeeming by payment of price to recover from the power of another, to ransom, to buy off. That's why he sent him. All the types, after all the types and shadows, after the schooling process that had been completed, God sent the Redeemer at the right time to fulfill his plan. Hallelujah. And, and things were set up so it wouldn't fail. You know, there's the scripture that we read in the book of Luke about the, the shepherds. You know, it says... Uh, it says that, that the angel of the Lord appeared to them and, and told them not to be afraid. And he brought them good tidings of great joy. And remember towards the end of that, it says, And then there was with the angel the multitude of the heavenly host, right? Glorifying God and saying, Peace on earth, goodwill towards men. And you know, in all, all of our movies, we see these real feminine-looking choir angels. Most of them singing alto. But when you study that out, that's the army of the heavenly host. Now, whether you believe that or not is irrelevant as far as your salvation is concerned. That's what it means. Why was there an army accompanying the birth? Because God's going to get this done. God's going to get this done. That, that, there was so much angelic activity 
around the birth of Jesus. So much direction. Why did God have to use angels? The Holy Spirit wasn't inside a man. We're not looking for angelic direction. We're looking for the inward witness. But the point is, 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 is God sent an angel to, to uh, uh, Zacharias and told him, your wife's going to have a son, right? God sent an angel to Mary. God sent an angel twice to Joseph, told him to, to go ahead and marry Mary, and then told him to uh, leave and go to Egypt, and then a third time told him to come back. They that seek the child's life is dead. Hallelujah. So it was the proper time, and, and even though God himself could not get in the earth, he got his son in the earth, and he made sure this birth's going to come off without a hitch. Isn't that interesting that even godly wise men showed up? And the angel did what? Warned them not to go back to Herod, but go home another way. After they had dropped Jesus off all the money that he was going to need for him and his family to live in Egypt. Nothing was left to chance. Your salvation was so important God did not leave one aspect of it to chance. He made sure that Jesus got into the earth and made it so easy. All you've got to do is believe on him. That's all you've got to do. You don't got to jump through no hoops. Oh, hallelujah. Let's look at one last scripture, shall we? One last. Galatians 3. Galatians 3, verse 13. Christ has redeemed us now. That's good gospel news. He has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. It's written, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree, so that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So our Redeemer completely accomplished what he was sent into the world to do. We are redeemed from sin and the curse of the law, and Abraham's blessing is ours. So we have a Savior who saved us from our sins. We have a Redeemer who bought us back from the enemy. And on Sunday, we'll learn that we have a soon-coming King. Oh, hallelujah. Isn't that good news? Hallelujah. Well, let's stand up tonight, shall we? I pray that you...